Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and I'm with Arthur Black. That's right, back from abroad. You are back from abroad, back from the Far East, and from the Far West, we have, <laughs> we have Lee Fisher from Heyman's, uh, the head of international with Heyman's Gin. Welcome to the show. Hey, Will. Great to be here. You are from the Far West, so you've got a, a very... Uh, N- Nepalese accent. I, I, <laughs> I'm not that far west. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Definitely, yeah, so definitely London. <laughs> so, welcome to the show, man. You know, Thank we've you. been listening to you chat about Jen a little bit for uh, some programs that you just did earlier. And, um, man, let's jump right into it because I've become quite a big gin drinker in the last decade, like a lot of people have. It's good to hear. I mean, it's kind of having a renaissance at the moment, you know. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was actually at a vine and table store the other day. Uh, it's one of our local retailers, and they mentioned that they have, like, 62 gins on the shelf. Wow. I think it's it's gone just crazy, which is great. You know, the, people are talking about gins. We're doing podcasts about gins. <laughs> yeah, and we hear this talk about the uh, second gin renaissance. I think uh, I think we, what we've got to remember with Heyman's, we were actually in the first gin renaissance as well. You know, we've been around about 156 years now. So wow. It's uh, This is kind of the second time for us, which is great. <laughs> the yeah. second time. Like, does anybody remember the first wave? Like, ah, this is just like it was in the 1800s. This is a fantastic wave. Hey, then people are going to start dropping dead and dying <laughs> in the streets because of excessive <laughs> consumption during the 18th, 19th century. So you guys are still based in London. Yep, absolutely. So to, to the family, so we're a family business. I think that's quite important to mention. It's still um, family owned. Absolutely, 100%. So we're five generations. So we've got James, James and Miranda Heyman, our fourth generations. So uh, they kind of head up the business now. And then we have Christopher Heyman, uh, their dad, their father, who is fourth generation, obviously. And C- Christopher's still our master distiller. And so he kind of, whilst James and Miranda head up the business, Christopher really oversees the business. And, and, and I think, you know, he, he has the credentials to do that. So this year he joined the business in 1969 as a a young man and so he's been in the business in the family business and distilling for 50 years in October this year which which is a huge achievement in any industry but Mm. 50 years in gin I mean that's kind of special that's a lot more special than 50 years as like an accountant (laughs) it certainly is I I have to imagine (laughs) that that's going to be kind of rare that we're not going to see that very often in another 50 years especially family owned businesses I mean they're being swallowed up by, you know, the conglomerates. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, we talk about these things. I'm very lucky to, you know, be able to have a drink with Christopher in the distillery of a, uh, I was going to say a Friday evening, but I guess most evenings, if we're really honest. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I guess, you know, the, the, every single gin distillery in London in the 1800s was a family business, you know, and, and as you said, you know, a lot of them now have been sold out to the big guys, which, you know, I, I guess that's modern business. A lot of them went went bankrupt, went bust, you know, stopped trading. And uh, I, I believe, and I guess don't quote me on it, but I believe we're the only family of gin distillers from the original gin renaissance, the original gin boom, that's actually still distilling as an independent family business today. And I guess, you know, what does family mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you have a brother, but you can open a distillery with your brother tomorrow and call yourself a family distiller. You might have been in business 10 minutes. Sure, right. And for us, we're a, we're a true family. It's, it's five generations, you know, so it all started, as I said, back in 1863. And everything's just been handed down, you know, father to son, father to daughter through the years. So it's really making true English gin is what we do. You, uh, you mentioned um, having a cocktail most evenings. What did, um, what did you have to drink last night? 
So last night I had a Tom Collins. So my, my go-to's is a Tom Collins or, or a Gimlet, depending if I'm looking for a long drink or a short drink. <laughs> Everyone has their favourites. So James Heyman would be a Martinez, without a doubt. Uh, Miranda would definitely be a Negroni. And Christopher kind of flicks a little bit. He's a Negroni, he's a Martinez. Probably a gin and tonic would be his go-to. And yeah, that, that's really back, back in the UK, back in London. Gin and tonic, you know, really leads that gin drink. It's getting a lot more popular here in the, in the US, though. Uh, it's hard to beat a great Negroni, for sure. Yeah. And I, I love a gin and tonic because, I mean, it, with a quality gin, it, like, if everything fits together, like, and right now we've seen all these, like, artisanal tonics and such, and we had some on the back bar there a little earlier, mm -hmm. and you can really kind of highlight some of the interesting different notes of particular gins, which I like that it's not just, like, when I grew up, I would just get a gin and tonic when I was, like, 19 because it was the only thing I could order at the bar and not seem like I was 19. So... <laughs> what did you, you drink last night, Ed? I didn't have anything to drink last night. I'm still oh. prepping for this tonsillectomy that I that I get. So Man, that's gonna suck so bad. I know, you. I know. Like we're just squeezing all of these recordings in, and good luck with we're, that. We're recording from the future. Yeah, yeah thanks. I know you scared the shit out of me earlier, but you're like <laughs> saying that you had yours done at, the, at approximately the same age. I I, I did, and, and it's not good. But I kind of <laughs> I look at you as a man, and I look at me as a man, and you know, you look look younger and fitter than I am. So if I can survive, you can survive. I'm pretty <laughs> right. sure of that. You'll be right. You'll be right. I'm very much looking forward to not having to be sick once a month you know this that 2019 has been mu very much that for me so okay. all the ice cream and cold white wine you can have. yeah so i was texting with beach bumberry a couple days ago and i was somebody said you know lots of ice cream I'm like i don't really care for ice cream you're gonna unless want they it. can make a jet pilot ice cream and he's like let's make this happen at tails like mm -hmm. i can do jet pilot although i Tales may be out of the question of what you say comes to pass for me, League. No, okay. I think, I think a month of recovery is going to be right into Tales of the Cocktail. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but if you can't use ice cream, use ice. And if you're going to use ice, I'd recommend use ice in a gin and tonic. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> That's, <gonna laughs> That's nice. salesmanship right there. Oh, really? I know, I know, no, no. It'll cure malaria. It'll be like infected set, tonsils. Set it up, knock it down, baby. That was, that was, that was good. You kind of, you asked us what we what did you drink last night? Um, I started off with white wine and then um, stepped it up. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not surprised. Well, it's, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm back from abroad. I spent a, a lot of time in uh, Nepal and India where oh, wow. all the, cool. the beverages is largely shit. So coming back and being able to drink good wine is, has been an absolute treat. And I had a 89 uh, LLC, Leoville Las Cas second growth so nice yeah yeah the wine didn't suck is is quite good still has some legs to it classic vintage yeah that's what i was thinking <laughs> again i'm not tasting anything these days I'm, i i can imagine that coming back like everything your senses are just like amped up you know like having oh, been God. It is, oh. it, the, absence makes the heart grow fonder <laughs> i mean anything here like the worst here is better than the best there sure it's the regional beverages that are the only thing of any interest do you have any gins that are macerated with uh, jackal <laughs> uh, let me think about that. No, no. Yeah. All right, no, no. Heyman's Jackal Jen. Hey, that works. Jackal Jen. Jackal the alliteration was perfect. I think we can make most things work. I mean, yeah, old, old, our old Tom, you know, a real classic recipe. And I think you mentioned classic wine. I mean, things are called classic 
for a reason. Right. Uh, and, and you know what we do is really classic gin. It's it's the thin, authentic, true English gins that uh, sort of the same styles, the same recipes that came out of London 150 years ago. But you know, Jackal Gin, you, 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 know, <laughs> you can kind of make everything work. So Old Tom was really a classic cocktail gin. If you go back to the early guides, it, it, it's in there. You know, for a Tom Collins and, and, and many other cocktails. But but uh, a lot of people know I'm here in a bar called of Tom and Tonic. So they kind of people are looking for something a little bit different. The, the, the tonics are coming in. There's lots of flavors. You mentioned the multiple gins that, that are on the market now. There's a lot of flavored gins. I mean, we don't do flavored gins. We apart from our slow, yeah, but that's a historical, classic style of the original, right. the, the only original flavored gin. I mean, if if you want flavor in your in in your in your drink now, the, uh, use the tonics, use the bitters. Sure. You know, I, I mean, if you think about, you know, we're hearing a big phrase now, pink gin. <laughs> right. I mean, if you want a pink gin, take a London Dry and add some Angostura bitter. That's a pink gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in our distillery, it is anyway. Innovation's a good thing in the industry. It means we get to do, you know, the shoots for, for um, different people that I was doing earlier. We get to do podcasts. People are talking about gin now, and that's great for us as a family because that's all we make. Lots of distilleries make lots of products. We've only ever made, and all we make is gin. So I think innovation's great. But kind of the family's request is if, if gin, gin distillers anywhere in the world, whether it's Australia, Shanghai, Seattle, or indeed Indianapolis, if you're going to innovate, be, be true to gin and give it a juniper backbone mm-hmm. and then, you know, make, make, it, make a good product for the consumers. Yeah, but have you ever had like a team meeting and discussed macerating a jackal in, in, <laughs> in, in the must before distillation? I think, that, I think that meeting happened the week before I started, actually. Yeah. We, <laughs> it was shot right down. We, we mentioned that because Ed and I were talking earlier. There's a drink uh, from Nepal called Rakshi, which is grain-based. And uh, if you go to certain areas, you'll find really weird things they do with it. And there's, there is one form of rakshi that is, um, they they literally macerate a, a dead jackal in the the must and then distill off of it. Did you try it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the hell could pass that up? Yeah, I think I'd have to yeah. try that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. one of them. It doesn't sound great. But it's probably the only time I'm going to get to try it. So <laughs> I, mean, right. yeah, I, I, I love it. even in food. When, when I, I, you know, I'm really fortunate, I get to travel around lots of countries around the world. And whether it's food or drink, if it's weird, if it's unusual, you know, you should try these things. I think you got to so. try Good once. On Absolutely. So you were talking about innovation, and that's a hot kind of topic in mm-hmm. the rum world. Um, Richard Steele recently just you know made a big post about you know. Innovations in liquor are very, you know, they're, they're few and far between. Like what we're calling innovation, you know, if you're adding a botanical to something, it's not innovative. You're just adding a botanical, you know, coming up with a new still design is innovative. Yep. Um, and so when you say you're doing a classic gin, I mean, you actually have family history. You're staying classic and true to the family. You yes. Know, like it's not classic as in like here's a London Dry. I mean, you have a London Dry, of course, but it's within the family recipes. Yeah, so I guess if we go go back to the very start, sort of pre-1863, you know, our our first generation and and founder, you know, originally he was a chemist. He he was a very charismatic pharmacist. So he... (laughs) (laughs) I love that description. Chemist, a.k.a. charismatic pharmacist. Yeah, Yeah, so at one stage, you know, he made made toothpaste. Um, But but he had a passion for gin. He he was a gin lover, and he kind of used... 
use the skills and the knowledge he has from being a pharmacist to actually work on the recipes. Um, so and kind of everything he strived to get within our recipes was, was balance. Um, and, and they're the recipes we use today. So, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have family archives. You know, they've been handed down through generations and Christopher Heyman actually has an archive room. So the recipes we use today, it's the same 10 botanicals. It's the same recipes. It's the same two-day process, which is really, really important for, for an English style of gin, a, a true English gin. So 10 botanicals. I mean, so like that's where I see a lot of modern gins kind of going really haywire. Um, no, there's, a, there's a pun in there somewhere where you're like, we're using 67 botanicals, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. but like in your core product, there's still only 10 in each pr- product, you have, like, right? Just different kind of ratios. Or? I, absolutely. I mean, I guess, I guess you guys and I've, I've done a fair bit of tasting over and certainly Christopher. I mean, you know, Christopher's a phenomenal taster. But can anyone taste, to quote you, 67 different flavors within one product? I mean, for us, it's the same 10 botanicals and exactly what you said. They're the ingredients, but it's different ratios. So the old Tom, you know, it's got that richness, that warm, that really rich mouthfeel. So lots and lots of licorice in an old Tom. You know, a London dry, a lot, of, a lot more of the earthy compounds. So that's angelica, that's cassia, a little bit of spice there coming through as well. So it, it, it's the ingredients and then different recipes. I, you know, these are family recipes. And you know, just, just a point, point of interest, I guess, if, if, if anybody ever, and no one has ever asked the question, but if anyone <laughs> ever wanted to change the recipes, every single family member would need to agree. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, hand on heart, that that's just never going to happen. Um, so it's, it's, it's sticking to what we do now, to how it's always been done. Now, as far as the distillation of the base spirit, now, are you contracting that out or is that being distilled in London by the company? No, we, we don't make our own base spirit. Okay. And it's something, it's a, it's a question myself, James, Miranda, and Christopher, we get, we get asked that a lot because, you know, some gin distillers are distilling their own base spirit now. From a base spirit perspective, we use English wheat. Um, Christopher and myself, we're, we're obviously hugely biased, but we use English wheat. Christopher would say that gives the cleanest and you know the most neutral base spirit you can get. But, but we don't make that because we never have. Okay. Um, going back to um, sort of early England, you know, the, the early days of the first gin renaissance back in the 1800s, there was something called the two mile law. And it, and it was a law of the land. It might even still be a law of the land, but I don't think it's used. We have really weird laws and some really old stuff in the UK. Um, so the two mile law was the base spirit had to be distilled two miles from the gin distillery. There's, there's Within mis- two miles? No, outside. Oh, two, outside. Two miles, two miles. away. Okay. Two miles away. So th- there's mystery in history. So th- <laughs> the only rationale that we can really come up with is pre- pre-laptops, computers, iPads, iPhones, or anything else. And even pre-good processing systems, the government was taxing alcohol back then as well. Um, oh, they've been taxing <laughs> gin for centuries, right? Yeah, they, they put kind of five tax acts through in a very short period of time to really stem the consumption of gin, which kind of got out of control in, in, in London. <laughs> but the two-mile rule, if you were going to try and smuggle it, you know, the dark depth of 2 a.m. in the night, you know, in the morning, if you were going to smuggle a barrel or a couple of barrels of base spirit from the from the base distillery through to the gin distillery in a horse and cart along the Victorian cobble streets or pre-Victorian even cobble streets of London, you were probably going to get caught. So gin distillers in the day and, uh, you know, we're historical, we use originals, you know, we follow the same process. So we never made base spirit then and we don't make base spirit now. 
And to be honest, I said, we're gin distillers. You know, that's all we make. We make gin. So we've worked with the same supplier for our base for many, many years. Um, we know the quality we're getting in. Each batch, as I'm sure you appreciate, is tested. Um, but it, it's sticking to what has always been. Um, and that's kind of what we do. Hmm. So when it comes to those, you know, those botanicals being added in, so you've got a very consistent, like, base spirit coming in. I'm guessing from, like, just the, the nature of the botanicals, it could, could make neat adjustments year to year to year to, like, maintain the consistency of product, I guess, is what I'm reaching for. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, all botanicals are a natural product. Sure. So, so they're grown, and, you know, it, sometimes you have more sun, sometimes you have more rain. Um, so I think, yeah, but what, what we do, to, you're, you're right, you have, to, you have to make sure you give consistency in today's market. So if we get a batch of each individual botanical, but let's, let's concentrate on Jennifer, um, they're delivered into the distillery in their natural form, so we don't use any oils or essences. If we say okay. orange peel, we mean orange peel. Mm-hmm. That's what goes into the still. It's all of the botanicals. But we will do a small, we have a tiny little still in the kitchen. Uh, and when I say the kitchen, I mean the lab, but it, 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 our, our distillery is designed like a home. Do you have a charismatic chemist? Uh, we, have a, we have a charismatic and a quite energetic distiller, and, and we have Christopher Heyman, who, who, as I said, oversees anything. And with 50 years, he uh, he oversees anything, everything, with a lot of experience. But we, we'll take a juniper, and, and in a very small bench, still, you know, the ones that the, the tiny ones on the um, on the countertop, we'll do a distillation of that of just juniper. And then that's tested for the oil content. I'm sure you guys know, you know, the flavor isn't actually in, in the juniper berry, it's in the oils at the juniper berry. So each each botanical is actually tested individually. And it's only at that stage that one, it's approved uh, or rejected. I mean, our supplier is, again, a long-term supplier. So generally pretty much always approved because they know the quality that we're looking for. Um, and it's only at that stage that Christopher and our, our, our distiller, Sam, will actually work out what that recipe is, but they all relate back to the original family recipes. But you are you're taking your base grain spirit and macerating the different botanicals and, and distilling off of that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so we'll fill the stills. So we have three stills um, named Marjorie, which is Christopher's <laughs> mum, uh, Christopher's mother. And then Karin is Christopher's wife. And then the third little baby still we have, which is a 120 liter still, is named after Miranda, uh, Miranda Heyman I mentioned earlier. So that's Christopher's daughter. So three generations of uh, Heyman women. We'll load the botanicals. We'll load it on, say, a Monday morning. Uh, and then we will leave that macerate for a day and a night. And it's only on the next morning, Tuesday morning, that we actually switch the heat on and, and start the distillation process. Okay, all right, so a couple day maceration. Yep, so the two-day process was how gin was always made, or, or in the day. By following that, it's, it, it, I guess it's like cooking. If you cook a, a, a joint, a Sunday joint, as we would say in the UK, or I guess here, if you cook a brisket, I think that's correct. Um, if you do that quickly on a high heat, it's nowhere near as good as gently on a slow heat. So doing things slowly and gently just, just gives it that... It's a gentler way of making gin, and, and, and the product you'll get post-distillation, it, it's just more balanced. There's no harshness to it. Um, I was talking to someone earlier, you know, for me, when you're looking at a gin, it always needs to answer four words if you're going to call it a good gin, which will be balance. So you're not looking for one botanical to be mm-hmm. really shouting out. You want them all to work together. Um, it, so it's balanced, it's bright, it's crisp, and it's clean. That That's... 
and that comes for, for us anyway um, that comes as or comes through the two day distillation process and obviously like juniper is like the note that you know defines a, a gen for us <laughs> for everyone right well, well but, no, i mean it, right it defines gen I, yeah. I, I think in the us but certainly in europe it, it's 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 law right you know, yeah it, it's it, actually it, a juniper backbone predominantly juniper is the word but yeah it should define every gen. but that's where i guess where i'm getting at is that you know that's some people have had really juniper forward and unbalanced gins, uh, like the really cheap, like plastic handle that you get for five bucks, and I it, it just be common. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and so as we try to like turn people on, I mean, we're having this kind of gin renaissance, as you said, right now. But that's been the hardest thing to kind of attack is the perception, at least here in the U.S., that all gin tastes like quote Christmas trees. You know, that's mm-hmm. the, the the comment that we hear, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to have that juniper note. But I think people have had really unbalanced products before and then that's the what the takeaway is is I don't like gin we hear that a lot and, and it's I couldn't agree more uh, I have friends back home that say I don't like gin but I like Heyman's is that un-English? <laughs> no, no, I don't you get kicked out of is. the country if you don't. <laughs> no, no, I think that there are, you know, there's a lot of gins on the market. And I said earlier, I think innovation is great. It makes the category exciting. It makes people talk about gins. It makes you guys invite me here to do a podcast about, you know, about Heyman's and about gin, which is, which is great. But I think we have to, or every distiller should remember that we're making gin. Mm-hmm. You know, and gin is a predominantly juniper spirit. It's a, it's a neutral spirit made with, you know, there's various botanicals out there now, but, you know, it should have a juniper backbone. I think if people stay true to what gin was or is meant to be, then innovation's great. It's when it's when you get these bad gins on the market, you know, I would never mention any brands, and I, you know, if you ask me, I'm still not going to, <laughs> but they're the ones that can actually damage the consumer's perception of gin. Right. As I said, I have friends who tell me they don't like gin, so maybe they don't like bad gin, but they tell me they like, they sure. like Haymans of London. Pretty much every genre of alcohol someone's had True. a bad experience True. with, and I, I always hear, you know, I don't do tequila. I had a bad experience with tequila. And it's like, no, te- tequila had a bad experience with you. you know, like. Absolutely. And I think you say every. You can relate it to craft beer. You know, there's some great craft beers out there. There's some people who hop the heck out of a cross bit craft beer yeah. just to cover the fact that they can't yeah. make good beer. <laughs> right. Too many I people. find that to be, it happens a lot, especially in the United States, where it's like oh, yeah, it, it, in the, the, the perception that... Like, if a little is good, then crank that up to 50, <laughs> and yeah. it's going to be great. And that was my issue with, like, like kind of the comeback of craft beer or, you know, uh, the proliferation of craft beer is, like, how many IBUs can we get in there? If, you know, yep. where, to the point where it was immeasurable. Yep. I think now we're starting to see a retraction a little bit in that regard. And even the same with, with gins, now that it's found a little bit more of a comfortable place in the marketplace, mm-hmm. that there's no need to race to have more botanicals and... That's what it kind of felt like for several years, at least on our end of the market, where every day it was somebody coming in with a new, you know, craft gin that was like, we yep. used an extra tin botanicals. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, there's also, like, with wine, the over-alcoholic wine. I mean, it, right. it, it does come down to, to balance, but there are people out there who candidly just have shit palates and they can't smell <laughs> or taste anything unless it punches them in the face. Right. I think, I mean, three three things I'd say. We, we, make, we make true English gin, you know, Heyman's of London, and I think that, that's a classic style of gin. And, you know, I, I get to do tastings with lots of bartenders, you know, lots of bar owners and lots of industry and trade people. 
in many markets around the world, and ultimately when, you know, I won't say 100%, but I'll go 99.99, lots of nines. You know, <laughs> people taste our gin and they go, oh, hey, that's great gin. You know, and, and we, we make great gin. I think if you look at what some of the other distillers have done, you know, it's maybe, maybe a year ago now, um, you know, I, w- I was offered a burnt pineapple gin. Now, you know, you're screwing your face up there. Yeah. This, this is podcast, not TV. Yeah, but, we're uh, trying to... Um, Arthur's... I, I, I mean, you've got, you've, you've got to... You know, and I, I don't know if it's still around or not. I don't know if it's a multiple, you know, category somewhere in the world. You but, said you weren't going to call anybody out, but no, I bet there's one person making burnt pineapple gin. But I think, you know, if... if if it's a juniper background, it's gin-esque and it tastes of gin and it's a great product, I would call that innovation. I think if, it's, if it tastes of burnt pineapple, then you've got to question if that's gin. Right. Or any you know, burnt banana or roasted pear or, or anything else that is out there as well. To me, I think you've got, consumer choice is really great, but stay true to what the category is. Right. Um, that, and I think that's really important for the future of gin as well. If gin as a, as a product loses its way too much and confuses consumers, and, and if bad gins turn consumers off, we're, we're going to lose what that category actually has stood for for, you know, two, three, four hundred years, even before we were making gin as a family. You know, I think we, we have to try and protect the category going forward. Speaking of historically, historical significance of gin, I need sleep, man. Um, <laughs> we, we were chatting a little bit earlier about, you know, uh, the military and how the, the gin was supplied to the officers. Um, I know there was recently... Uh, Dutch Courage. Yeah. the yep. um, Ford's Gin just released their, their officers blend, and we were talking significantly about the officers getting the gin and the lower ranks getting the rum. That's yep. what, that was, is what spurred the conversation. Yep. And, and so how has that uh, influenced, you know, your production, if, if at all? Like, you know, as that's retracted, you know, in recent decades, I mean, there hasn't been a, a rum ration in the, the Royal Navy since 72. Uh, I don't think it's changed our production because we've always, since, since the 1800s, I don't know the exact date, but since the, the mid to late 1800s, we've had a Navy gin to supply to the to, to our customer, the customer being the Royal Navy, um, in the, you know the British Royal Navy. So our Navy strength gin is 57%. It was, it was the level of alcohol that if the gunpowder gets wet on board a ship back in the days of sails and cannons, that the gunpowder could still be used. Uh, and I'm guessing in the day it was a minimum of 57 because you know, we we didn't test with hydrometers <laughs> and labs back, back in 1880 something. You know it it would have been. It would have been 57, 58, 59, maybe 61, but always 57. Yeah, and tested by wetting a bit of gunpowder and lighting it. I mean, our, our, our Navy strength is, is called Royal Dock. That's named after the Royal Dock in Deptford, which was the Navy base for the British Navy. I do love Navy. the Royal Dock. And it's when the, you know, the British Navy, I think, was the largest Navy in the world at the time. Obviously, we're a lot smaller now, but it's... So it, it, it's, it's an actual Navy gin that was sold to the Navy. We didn't wake up one morning and go, hey, let's develop a 57% recipe. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, we're very, very fortunate as a business. And I guess James Miranda and you know, Chris are fortunate as, a, as, as family members that we have that history. So we, we have that recipe from the original Navy gin that we used to supply. So uh, it, it's a great product. It's big. It's robust. I don't think overpowering. Um, no, like I, think, I said, that's one of my go-to gens. It's go-to to me for a gimlet. And I think, you know, if you look at a martini now, there's lots of great vermouth on the market. So to me, it makes a really hearty martini as well. But for, for, for me, it's a gimlet. 
in our business, once you get accustomed to the proof of tasting, you know, constantly we're tasting booze, and I always tell my family this as I'm trying to get them to drink better quality stuff, just not off my shelf. Um, <laughs> you know, that, you know, especially if it's coming off the still at a higher proof, you know, the more water we're adding to it, the less flavor you're getting out of it. So I can't remember who said it, but, you know, there was a comment made in the last several years of like, it's alcohol. It should taste like alcohol. Yep. You know, like it's, if you're, if you're covering it up, you know, you can do that in a cocktail. You can add syrups, you can add juices, all those things. But what comes out of the bottle, I mean, it's alcohol. It's designed to be alcoholic. It's designed to have a little bit of burn. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that gets lost a lot sometimes in, in with it, some of the craft stores. Like, oh, it's so smooth. You can just, you know, you can drink this easy all by itself. I'm like, okay, cool. But like, you, a lot of times, like you said, you're covering up poor product yeah. with yeah. other flavors, you know, and, and trying to scoot that out and you know, pull I mean, the wool over my eyes. Old Tom is something that I think you can drink over ice, you know, the, the sweetness and the licorice and the viscosity. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's something that you can just put a block of ice in and you can certainly drink that neat. I guess the reality is Royal Dock is made for mixing. You know, Royal Dock is a big, hearty gin. And I use the word hearty because it relates to the Navy. But, you know, at 57%, you say there's heat in there. You know, alcohol has a taste. So absolutely, it's something that you want. You You need to know how to use it. You need to know how to make a great drink. But it's something that I don't think... I certainly wouldn't drink royal uh, royal dark meat. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's pretty good. Yeah, might well, wake you up. It might, it might, do, it yeah. might do your tonsils some good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I won't need the surgery after all. Just numb them, them up a little just, bit. <laughs> Wasn't there a period uh, of prohibition in in the UK of gin like a couple hundred years ago? Um, not prohibition as you would have had as you you guys had here in in, in the US, where I, I my my understanding is basically all alcohol. Yes. Was, 100% banned. Yes. So, so for medicinal alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I always love that, medicinal alcohol. Here's your prescription for whiskey. So we, we didn't have true prohibition in that respect, but what, what we did have, gin got really out of hand in, in London in, in the late 1700s, um, even early 1800s, where people were basically drinking gin instead of water. The water quality wasn't that great uh, in London, so they were drinking gin. And... You know, there's there's two real there's you know gin, gin Lane, Gin Alley, sorry. You know that famous picture from from the artist Hogarth, which basically just paints you know drunken debauchery in the streets of London, and it's where the phrase mother mother's ruin comes from. I mean, you mm-hmm. mentioned Dutch courage coming earlier. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of great history uh, in gin. Isn't there a story behind Graveyard Shift? Not one that I've heard, if I'm honest, sir. <laughs> if you want to tell it, by all means, yeah. uh, please. So uh, I can't remember where I'd heard it from, but I, I, you know, people were dying because of excessive consumption. You know, m- m- mother's ruin. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not uh, so bad now, though. No, no, I, mean, <laughs> I understand it's all right now. But um, I had read that they were burying people in, in graves, and, and people were like, they were burying people who were just passed out, who they oh, thought. Jesus. They thought were dead. Oh, really? They started burying people with like a rope down into the grave with a bell up on the surface, and so I'm not that, dead. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sober. I'm sober. Let me out. I'm not That's dead. Right. It's my second Monty Python reference in two episodes. <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, uh, I've not heard that one. I mean, there's so many stories. If they went, when they became conscious, they they would pull on the rope and a, a bell would ring, and then they would uh, they would put people uh, to to watch the graveyards tonight, and hits the graveyard shift to go out and dig up the people that were passed out on gin. This sounds like lore, but it's damn good lore. <laughs> you, learn, you learn something new every day. I think the 
pressure and lack of oxygen while you're passed out might just finish the job if you were. Well, then you didn't ring the bell. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good point. Good point. But, so back to back to the prohibition <laughs> question. Um, so we never had true prohibition, but what the government did do, they introduced various tax acts, and in the end, they introduced the Distillery Act, where basically one in three houses was a distillery, uh, which is why our distillery in London is really based around a home setting, because people used to make gin in their house. But then the government, uh, as they do, they bring in taxes and, and they brought in a license to, to be a distillery. But I guess exactly the same as alcohol in the US in Prohibition. And certainly, you know, people didn't stop distilling gin. They just went underground and did it illegally. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a prohibition, but it was a, it was a, an act to stem gin production and, uh, and ultimately gin consumption. But it went underground, and that's really where the name Old Tom on the Old Tom gin comes from, because that was the style of gin being made there. So the, the underground distillers, if they were distilling, kind of the secret symbol was either a wooden cat or, or a, a black cat emblem would be put outside the uh, outside the house that we're distilling. I don't know how secret it was, because kind of we know about it today, <laughs> right. but I'm guessing at the time it would have been... Humans uh, can't secret. keep secrets. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> um, so you'd put the black cat outside the house, and then, you know, it was kind of like the first vending machine. So yeah. someone would come along, they'd walk down the street, they'd put a penny through the cat's ear, and then they'd, got a, they'd get a shot of gin through the lead pipe, and right. uh, I, I don't know if it's the same here in, in the US, but um, sort of the black or the male cats in, in, in the UK, we call them tomcats, old tomcats. Mm-hmm. So that's really, you know, that's one of the theories, one of the, the legends, I guess, of where the name old tom comes from was the secret symbol. Ah, well, if it uh, weren't for moonshine in this country, we wouldn't have NASCAR. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's totally true. I if you're not first, recently. you're last. Well, I think it's, it's funny, like, all these, like, Legends and stories that we're, we're talking about around alcohol. There's so many of them with gin because it is certainly like one of the oldest, you know, I guess uh, regulated booze. I mean, we obviously have agave that goes back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. But as far right, as regulation, right. I mean, we start seeing an alcohol regulation come through England way before it started coming through here. You're talking about taxation before we were even a country. So uh, I, I, I've, I've read. So- <laughs> <laughs> I've read, We've been talking uh, about taxation forever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I've read that uh, reports of juniper-based spirits going back to the Middle Ages. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Dutch courage. You know, Geneva was brought back to London, you know, after the 30-year war. Um, you know, and the, the, the Dutch soldiers were drinking that Geneva. They had some real, you know, grit and determination going into battle. And, and as you said, Dutch courage. And I think so gin as we know it today and you know where did the word gin come from i think if you go back two three four hundred years foreign accents were quite alien to to british ears back then so you know geneva or geneva how it was pronounced in the day um would have been quite difficult for someone from london to say so i think it was just shortened from geneva to gin because that was an easy thing to say you know and that's when London became the ancestral home of the of the gin that we we call gin today. But the history, you know, it goes back. There's so you know, we mentioned Mother's Ruin, that the graveyard shift, which was a new one on me. So thank you for that. I'm going to steal it and use it again, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, check it out. Yeah, I mean, or just Google it and see what comes up. I, I have no idea, but I, I've I've definitely read it in a couple of places. Okay, that, no, that's cool. It's always good to learn new stuff. And I think if we look back at after, you know, the history of of old Tom. You know, there's another story about old Tom, and I guess people got to believe what they want. There's, there's, there's a story of a, a very 
prominent distiller um, in London who uh, was aging and coming to retirement called Tom, who didn't have any children and he wanted to pass his business on to uh, somebody else and not just close it down. So he took in a, 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 a waif off, the, uh, you know, a waif and stray off the street and decided he was going to train him to be his, his, you know, his, the next distiller within his business and pass the business and give, give the kid a break in life. And that, that kid by chance was called Tom as well. So people would come in and they would ask for old Tom's gin because Tom, having been a lifelong or you know multi-year distiller, yeah. made better gin than the young apprentice. So you know that and the style of gin was that sweetened gin. So there, there's there's mystery in history. I use that phrase a lot. Yeah, like I'm going to steal that. Earlier. You're stealing yeah, his no. story. I'm stealing your. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, we didn't have podcasts, Instagram, or, or Google right. back then. So a lot of what we rely on in the archives is. You know, the handwritten notes and hand, you know, we kind of know the volumes. We, we know what we were selling to the neighbor. We know when we stopped selling, you know, old Tom gin and as it became unsweetened or what we call dry gin today. But, but they're handwritten notes. Some have been faded, some have been lost, some have been destroyed. So I, I think history should be legendary as well. You know, yeah. I think with yeah. the, there should be a real mystery about that as well. And I think in in, in 200 years' time, everything that we do today is documented and stored, and Dude, it, not, it takes a lot of the romance out of we're it. We're not going to be here in 200 it's, years. It's, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I'll, be lucky, I'll be lucky to be we're, here in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not going to make it as a species. Yeah, we're, that's uh, yeah. Okay, okay, as a species. <laughs> okay, that's a bit grander than Sorry. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's really put a sour on my day. <laughs> well, we're all kind of concerned about Trump gonna be having a second term. You know? Oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> it can't be that bad. Yeah. Have you not been reading the news. <laughs> I mean, you have Trump, we have Brexit. Let's not that, talk, that's a good point. Let's not talk right. politics. Yeah. That's, that's not for a great conversation <laughs> at the moment. Well, before we wrap up today, you guys, I, I have to mention it because I'm a big rum drinker, but you have obviously a relationship with Smith & Cross. That falls under the, I don't know, portfolio is that what we're calling it? Company? <laughs> I think it falls within the family. Yeah, the family. Yeah, I mean, Smith & Cross sits, sits under under the family. I mean, you know the brand. It's, 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 it's a real bartender's rum. I mean, it, it's I'm, sexy. It's sexy. Okay, it that's is one sexy. way of describing it. Well, I mean, you, you know, there's a lot of us out there that are just really, really attracted to Jamaican mm-hmm. funky hogo uh, rums, and that's that was one of the early ones I had. And you know, we talked about a little bit off air that rums really kind of it's heading in its moment in the sun at, right now, and you know, some of those flavors are shocking. So we, I tasted Smith and Cross, maybe, gosh, I don't know. Eight years ago, yep. it was one of the very early rums that well, I was like, kind of reset my definition of what a rum could be, and that Jamaican rum in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think the, re- the reason a gin family, and you know, we, we don't make rum. Um, you know, London was quite famous in its day for, for blending rum and the blending houses, but so we don't make rum. But as a family, we would have had a rum in our, in our business, if you like. Um, and it was all around the Navy. So you mentioned earlier, the officers drunk gin and the sailors drunk rum, both at 57% Navy strength for the same reasons of gunpowder. The Navy really cared about the officers, so they would source great rum. They would actually consider what the product, what the liquid, you know, what are we buying for our finery and our officers and the really important people. The sailors was kind of disposable back then, I guess. So they were like, hey, can you know, the same as any bar owner, they really want one delivery. 
it's, it's you know in today's market one delivery is easier than two so they would ask um, gin companies can you get us a rum for our sailors so we you know historically we had a rum within our portfolio I've mentioned a few times what we do today is what we did back then so we've you know we still maintain a rum in our portfolio obviously we strive to make it a great rum now it you know it the sailors didn't matter but the rum drinkers of today absolutely do matter you know and the tiki bars and the tiki cocktails and all of the rum cocktails that are out there so yeah we have Smith and Cross, you know, it, it, it's a big rum. I think you use the word funky. Those that know Smith and Cross just love it. It works, you know, it's a great rum for a cocktail. So yeah, it, it, it very much fits in with the history. But I, like I said, I just, just to make it really clear, you know, we don't make rum. We are absolutely a gin distiller. God bless the English for their tendency of excessive drinking, because <laughs> if, uh, if that wasn't the case, uh, gin wouldn't be where it is, rum wouldn't be where it is, sherry wouldn't be where it is, Madeira, Port, Bordeaux, Claret. I mean, thank you for for all the binging. You know, I mean, it, it's well, personally thanking you, Lee. Thank you, uh, thank as you, a, thank a, you to the British a, Empire. As, a, as an as an ambassador to to, to, to England, you okay. are appreciated. I think you're an ambassador to drinking all things that are great. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, gentlemen, Lee, again, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we hope to have you back again soon. Is, where can people find like social media for Heyman? Have you in the 156 years of history, have you jumped into the internet age? You know. <laughs> yeah, no, we have we have Heymansgin.com. You know, we have we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have Facebook. So all of the little symbols, signs, birds, tweets, ads, hashtags, Heymansgin, uh, and you'll find us there. Lots of information on the brand, a lot about the history of the family, some recipe suggestions as well, videos on how to make cocktails for the people that want to kind of replicate that bar experience at home. So yeah, we, we're very historical, <laughs> but we have embraced the 20th century as well. Excellent. We always uh, try and ask all of our guests if they have any particular hangover cure. Gin and tonic. <laughs> I knew. You knew that was coming, yeah, yeah. guys. I saw the, the gears turning. Yeah, I'm like, it, yeah, here yeah, comes yeah, the yeah, I guess the best hanging here is don't drink the night before. Um, that's no fun. No, I think if I was going to have a drink, it wouldn't be a gin and tonic in the morning. But I do think that if you look at that tomato juice, that little bit of spice, that stick of celery, but make it a red snapper with gin. There you go. I always like the hair of the dog <laughs> answers yeah. because... There's a few variants, but red snapper for me. Yeah, my, <laughs> my hangovers reasons. are getting worse and worse. And like none of my traditional, or not traditional, but historically significant uh, cures aren't working anymore. So Not so much for me either. Yeah. Well, we're English. not drinking jackal gin, so we don't know. Full, full English breakfast and a red snapper. I reckon that'll sort anybody up. That's an excellent choice and excellent recommendation. Gentlemen... Until next time, and uh, well, I will have I will be tonsilless next time. So, uh, Lee, again, thank you for jumping over yeah, to the thank stage you. to uh, no, educate a little bit. And, pleasure uh, again, to be here. Cheers. All right, cheers.